Uh, if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles this morning, let's go to the book of Colossians. After a few weeks, we're finally back into our study. And uh, for those of you visiting with us, God bless you. God bless you again. We are in the book of Colossians. And so uh, uh, we uh, invite you to turn there. If you need a Bible, there should be some uh, pews uh, there right in front of you. <laughs> if you'll reach in the back of those, there should be a Bible in the back of that pew right there in front of you. So no excuses, right? Yes, sir, I see that hand. Also, if you have the CBC free app on your phone, yes. Thank you. Let me give that plug real quick so folks can hear that. If you have a, a, a smartphone, uh, now it may take somebody smart to operate it, but you can download the CBC LaGrange app. Go to the app store, CBC LaGrange app, download it. It does have a Bible uh, app on there as well. By the way, let, with that said, if you have your smartphone with you, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to do this every Sunday. Go ahead and take your smartphone out, and I want you to share this broadcast. Now, let me explain why. Your pastor preaches at you every week about the, the importance of us gathering together to be equipped to go and do the, the work of the ministry. The goal is that when we go out of these doors, we take the gospel and we share it with the outside world. Guys, think about this. Probably one of the best things you can do in the day and age in which you live to reach the masses is right there at your fingertip. By simply sharing on your page, you reach people that I'm not going to reach. The gospel will go through your Facebook page or whatever social media you're sharing it on and it will hit all of your followers. They can tune in if they so choose. And in tuning in, they very well may hear the life-saving gospel message. Why would we not take advantage of that opportunity? So... I encourage you, I invite you each and every week, share this as it's going on live. Uh, so again, for information, you can go to our, um, what's the best way to access this to share, Nate, as far as the CBC LaGrange Facebook page? Yeah, search on Facebook, CBC LaGrange. CBC LaGrange on Facebook. So if you want to go ahead and do that, guys, I'm telling you, this will multiply our outreach and you're just sitting. Man, pastor makes it easy for you, doesn't he? Well, the pastor doesn't, but my AVT crew does. And so I appreciate all the effort that goes on behind the scenes to make this technology available to you. So we want to use it. Uh, by the way, thank you all for the support last weekend. One of our best uh, apologetics conferences we've had in a long time. It was a great weekend. A lot of good things happening. And uh, I was encouraged to, to hear that we were able to equip some of our college students. I think the Nethery household was up late last night sharing their apologetics. So uh, that's good. Uh, no apology, right? Uh, giving a defense for the reason for the hope that's within you. As Christians, guys, evidence is on our side. We don't follow blindly. Uh, we have evidence. And so I'm thankful for those that were here last weekend uh, giving uh, uh, argument uh, for the, the defense of Christianity. And uh, continue to pray for Ted. Right, he heads out in about a week, week and a half, uh, to Turkey. And uh, he will be uh, assessing wh what they're going to do on their next trip to climb Mount Ararat, uh, and 13,000 feet up, there's something. And uh, they brought in archaeologists, and, and, and as a scientist team, archaeological team, Ted gets to have a part in that. And so let's pray for him, pray for safety. Uh, but he's excited about it, and we should be excited about it too. But anyway, great stuff going on. Guys, let's take our Bibles, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be focusing on verses 24 to 29, but I want us to get context. And so in order to get some context... Uh, let me real quickly see if I can do a recap because I recognize it's been three weeks and some of you uh, have no clue where we're at. So let me, let me explain where we're at. Paul, the apostle, writing, he's under arrest. He's under house arrest. He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier. And he's writing these letters. He writes Ephesians. He writes Colossians. And he writes... That's your part. Come on, how long have you been with me yet you do not know me? What's the other, what's the other letter? It starts with a P, an H, an I. Philemon. Yeah, Philemon, remember? Because Philemon was one of the pastors, or at least maybe he was hosting the church in his home, and he had a runaway slave. His runaway slave was who? Anesimus. Good, good. It doesn't matter if you Anesimus up the name, just say it, right? 
Onesimus was a runaway slave. Guess where the runaway slave ends up? In Rome. Guess who he runs into? The Apostle Paul. Huh? Who, who doesn't believe in providential meetings? Paul ends up leading the guy to Christ. He becomes born again. So Paul says, look, you've got to go back. You've got to go back. But when you go back, you're going to go back different because you're a new man, and I'm going to write a letter to Philemon, and you're to take this to him. And so Philemon, and I encourage you to read Philemon because here's this runaway slave who takes this letter back, which, by the way, Scripture never condones slavery. Never. We're all created in the image of God. But in the, in the day and age in which Paul is writing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is telling those folks in that time how to live. Guess what? He's telling us in this time how to live. Whether you have an employee and you're an employer, or vice versa. We have the principles God has breathed into our life to tell us how we're to live. So he says, hey, Onesimus, take this letter back to Philemon. In that letter, when you read it, you'll see this guy's a brother. You need to treat him as such. And so it changes the dynamic of relationship, and it should. Anytime we're in Christ, the relationships change because we change, because he changes us. And so you see that. So those are the three letters. So Paul's house arrest. Here's this letter back. He's writing to this little church in Colossae. So there's this group of believers in Colossae, and they've got some trouble going on. There's these guys that have been coming in, and they're bringing in some false teaching. And they're starting to elevate angel worship. And some of these Judaizers are also trying to get in on what's going on in this town. And so they start bringing in, well, hey, Jesus is good, but we still need to do circumcision. We still need to keep the law, which is completely uh, opposite of the gospel because Christ came to fulfill the law. He said it's finished in the sense that He has completed. He is the fulfillment. He is our Savior, not the law. We're under grace, a new covenant. And so you've got these destructive teachings that are finding their way in, this mystical teaching. There's this uh, asceticism that's creeping in as well. You know, the, oh, you, 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 this legalism. And there's so many things that are finding their way into the circle of this church. And so Paul says, I've got to address this. And he knows about this because Paphroditus, who was also a, a, a student of Paul that he met on the road, probably in Ephesus and there about in that region, led him to Christ. He's discipled him for a couple years. And so Epaphras is also part of this church. And so he says, hey, look, Paul, we got church is doing good, but we've got some issues. And so he shares those issues. And so he's there with him. He's going to send this letter back with Philemon, Tychicus, and uh, going to send them on back, right? I don't know. I just always want to do that when I say that name. Don't ask me why I'm weird like that. So they take this letter back to these folks that are gathered. Paul has started off in the very beginning, and he addresses some of this by saying, first off, I'm an apostle by the will of God. So if anyone... Now, Paul's not saying this per se, but this would have carried the weight. This is, this is the real deal. This is legit. This ain't some guy who, who had a dream last night because he ate a burrito too late. This is the apostle Paul. And so he's addressing some of the issues that are going on. He's highlighted the gospel... He's, he's saying, look, keep your eyes on Christ. Christ is to have preeminence. He's to be the main, the plane. He's to be the center of everything. And so when focusing on that, it kind of does away with some of this foolishness that was going on. And by the way, that's good advice for the foolishness that goes on in churches today. Put your eyes on Christ. Because I can promise you, if you look at me, I'm going to let you down. If you look at the person on the pew next to you, you're going to fail miserably because they're going to fail miserably. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Let Him have preeminence in your life. And uh, that's what Paul is saying. So, with that said, he continues on here, and we'll, we'll begin our reading for context's sake in verse 19. And so if we can take a look at verse 19 through 29. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. This is speaking of Jesus. Paul's talking about Jesus. And by Him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now He is reconciled in the body of His flesh through death 
to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. Father, I pray this morning that You will give me clarity of thought. I pray that You will remove any distractions and obstacles that, uh, again, Lord, I might simply be a vessel for Your honor. I pray for the listener that their heart will be in tune, Lord, that they will hear what the Spirit says, that uh, they will follow along in your word and, and, Lord, hear from you today that our lives would be changed and that we might be instruments for your grace and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is entitled Sacrificial Service. Sacrificial Service. And one of the things that we find here is that the Apostle Paul is sort of giving a philosophy of ministry. And so... Uh, as a pastor, as I prepared this week, this, this really resonated, really hit home. It, it was a great reminder, a good opportunity of, of evaluating my own walk and my own ministry in light of Scripture. And so I recognize that uh, though we may only have a few quote-unquote called pastors among us this morning, I remind us all that the Scripture says you are all ministers of the gospel. And so this is applicable for all of us as followers of Christ. Again, Paul's writing this to a church. And so this is important that we hear what the Spirit has to say. What is God conveying to us through this section of Scripture? And so I want us to look at this. Uh, two parts we're going to try to unpack. We probably are, we may or may not get through all of these today. But we're going to look at the hope of the gospel, which we find there in verses 23 through 26. And then the second part is the hope of glory. And these are two things that Paul is saying to these folks. The hope of the gospel is how we're able to do sacrificial service. So I want you to think about that, church. If you and I are going to do sacrificial service for the Lord, it's due to the hope of the gospel. Apart from the gospel, we have no hope. And then the hope of glory. That's a motivator in our sanctification. The hope of glory. That's what will propel us moving forward. Recognizing and understanding if I'm going to live a sacrificial life, if I'm going to serve my Lord and Savior sacrificially as He calls us all to do. The gas in the tank is the hope of glory. And so let's get fueled up this morning. Let's take a look. Starting with the hope of the gospel. Again, the background, we see it here in, in verse uh, 23. It says that uh, if, in, if indeed uh, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You see, the hope of the gospel was Paul's mission. It says that he was called, he was set apart to be a minister of this message. And so, it's important, believer, as we understand this, that we too must serve sacrificially for the cause of Christ. Let me ask you this morning. 
When's the last time you can honestly say you sacrificed for the gospel? When's the last time I, I died to self for the sake of the gospel? Because this should be something that is a marking on all of our tree. This should be a fruit on all of our tree. And so Paul is reminding that if we're, gonna, if we're going to serve sacrificially uh, for the cause of Christ, um, it, it's going to be as a result of the hope of the gospel. The gospel had been preached to them. He, the whole front section of chapter 1 that we've already gone through, you guys know this, he's been talking about this truth. This, this steadfast truth that they heard, that they believed upon. And so, don't fall away from that. Guys, too often times the cares of this world choke out what we know to be true. The enemy's very real. And he wants to fill our life with distractions. He wants to fill our life with the things of this world. Because that chokes out the mission. So what about this? How are we going to do this? How, how are we going to do the sacrificial service? Well, let's look at Paul's example. By the way, who, who followed Christ's example. Where, where's Paul right now? What's he sacrificing for the gospel? Somebody say it out loud. Where's he at? He's in prison. Because of the gospel. I'd say that's pretty good sacrifice. You know, we got people around the world right now who are in prison. And what is their crime? They shared the good news that Jesus Christ came into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. By the way, we're all lost. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this good news of the gospel is a message the whole world needs to hear. And if you've been saved by this gospel message, you know that we're all sinners, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. If we got what we deserve, we deserve death. We deserve hell. That's what we deserve. Because we've, we've rebelled against God. We love darkness rather than light. I mean, these are truths that God has said. He created us. He gives us breath. He, he's the one who designed us. He's our designer. He knows what we're designed for. And we're not doing what we were designed for. We've rebelled. We've gone away from that. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God's crime is He loved enough to take on the form of a man to come and to save us. And to a world that's lost and dying and perishing, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. But it should not stop us from sharing the good news. And so some people's crime right now is because they opened their mouth because they cared enough about those around them to share the good news. And yet we live in a society that the worst we're going to face is, eh, maybe we'll get made fun of. Maybe you'll get labeled one of those Christians. Maybe you'll get scoffed at. While our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world recognize that the moment they open their mouth, their family will disown them. They very well may be beaten publicly. We've seen in news in recent years of beheadings, put in cages and lit on fire. All for the sake of the gospel. And what are we called to sacrifice? A few hours on Sunday? Get the kids here for a midweek service? I don't know, I'm just asking, because these aren't sacrifices I'm naming. We think they are. What was Paul's example? What was Christ's example? Well, I think if we're going to understand the sacrificial service, if we're going to understand uh, in the context of the hope of the gospel, I think we need to see what the Scriptures say here. And, and it says we must rejoice. Notice in, in verse 24 what it says. It says rejoice. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Wow. Again, I say rejoice. This is a common phrase Paul uses, right? Paul's in prison. 
And yet he says, how rejoice. Church, if we're going to serve sacrificially, Lord, help me. I've got to learn to rejoice in my suffering. Not because of the suffering. Hey, I love to suffer. That's not the focal point of the rejoicing. The focal point of the rejoicing is that I know the Lord and Savior who's going to carry me through the suffering, right? Because I know what's on the other side. Christ endured the suffering and shame of the cross for the joy set before Him. You see, He saw beyond the cross. He saw the glory in heaven that He would return to. He saw you and me and the believers that would one day be gathered in victory. And it's because of that He endured the suffering and the shame on the cross. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what obstacles are in you. I don't know what kind of pains and agonies or afflictions, whatever it is you're facing. I know this truth. Paul is an example. Christ is an example. We can rejoice, and we must rejoice. We must rejoice in suffering. I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. So we must rejoice in suffering and we must rejoice in affliction. But wait a minute, this is an odd phrase. Everybody look at your Bible. Look at this phrase. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church. Paul, what are you saying? What is... What is it he's saying here? Is this, are we supposed to somehow take from this that Jesus' atonement is somehow insufficient? No, that's not what this is saying. Well, preacher, it says something's lacking, and it sounds like Paul's having to make up that which is lacking. That would mean insufficient, right? Of course not. That's not what Paul's saying here. There's a phrase very similar to this. Hold your spot there and let's go back. Hang a left. Next book back, Philippians. And uh, once you look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 30. This is why we study the whole counsel of God's Word. Context, context, context. We want to get the big picture and uh, this will help us in understanding other passages of Scripture. Notice in verse 30. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Well, what's this about? Well, there's this guy, um, Paphroditus, who had taken an offering from a church. The church collectively had gathered this offering to help Paul on his mission work. And Epaphroditus took it to him. Well, in the midst of his taking it to him, he gets sick and he almost dies. In fact, if we back up and read the context of this passage, you'll see that that, uh, Paul's sending him back and that he almost died. Um, And and so, uh, let's look at that because I want you to to see this in in its fullness. Um, So he says, uh, verse 25, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphrodite, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. And that's addressing again what he had brought to him. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Here's the point. If Epaphroditus doesn't represent the body and take their collective effort to Paul and risk his life and suffer as a result, that gospel doesn't spread as a result of that investment. 
So what does that mean here in the context of what Paul's saying to Colossians? He's saying, look, rejoice. When you suffer, he says, I I must, back over to Colossians, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church. Paul's saying this. Christ's atoning work is sufficient. It's finished. Just like those Macedonian, just like those uh, believers in Philippi could not all collectively fast forward over here to carry what they desired for, for Paul, they had a representative to bring it. Paul is saying, Christ, death, burial, resurrection, He's ascended to the throne and He's left me as a minister of the gospel. He's left you as followers of Christ to be His representation to carry this forward. And so, just like Christ suffered, you too will suffer. Just like in Epaphroditus' case, he was suffering for the sake of doing God's will. Guys, don't count it strange when you too suffer for doing God's will. You are representation moving forward from the cross. You and I will continue to fulfill what Christ began the ministry of the gospel. Because he's going to talk to us in a second that that hope of glory is Christ in you. And so I hope that makes sense. Uh, what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to articulate here, again, Paul's point, we rejoice in suffering, we rejoice in affliction. Why? Because it was for the sake of the body of Christ. It's for the church. The church is that which is made up of believers. Church, your responsibility is to continue carrying forth the gospel of Jesus Christ that it might be multiplied throughout the world. That we might continue to see folks come to the hope of the gospel. And so, we, like Paul, continue forth in suffering and affliction for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church. And that's how we're helping Christ complete His mission. Does that make sense? Nod your head yes. If you're asleep, just wake up. All right. So, we must also not only rejoice, we must render. Verse 23, notice here, or I'm sorry, 25, it says, of which, Paul, again, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you. By the way, let, let, let me give an illustration because... I. You guys, I don't know that it's quite clicking that last illustration. Let, let me give you an illustration. This, this will hit home. Let me, let me just give you an illustration. Maybe this will, this will help uh, clarify uh, for you um, on, on that last point. Uh, this is a story of an indigenous Indian missionary. India, not, you know, the country, not the native. Anyway, you got me. The story of the indigenous Indian missionary. While I was working on the missions, this is John Piper uh, sharing this. Uh, while I was working on the missions book in May, I had an opportunity to hear J. Oswald Sanders speak. His message touched deeply on suffering. He's 89 years old. Older people, listen up. He's 89 years old when this happened. 89 years old. 89 years old! You're never too old to be used by the Lord. Amen? So, he's 89 years old and he still travels and speaks around the world. He has written a book um, a year since he turned 70. Uh, he's written a book every year since he turned 70. Okay, I'll just make sure y'all getting that. I mentioned that only to exult in the utter dedication of a life poured out for the gospel without thought of coasting in self-indulgence, from 65 to the grave. He told the story of an indigenous missionary who walked barefoot from village to village preaching the gospel in India. His hardships were many. After a long day of many miles and much discouragement, he came to a certain village and tried to speak the gospel but was driven out of town and rejected. 
So he went to the edge of the village, dejected, lay down under a tree, and slept from exhaustion. When he awoke, people were hovering over him, and the whole town was gathered around to hear him speak. The head man of the village explained that they came to look him over while he was sleeping. When they saw his blistered feet, they concluded that he must be a holy man and, they, and that they had been evil to reject him. They were sorry and wanted to hear the message that he was willing to suffer so much to bring to them. So the evangelists filled up the afflictions of Jesus with his beautiful blistered feet. Do you understand now what Paul's saying? If that man doesn't suffer that rejection, that enduring of hardship, then that gospel message would never have been received by that village. We don't know what our present circumstances are working. We don't. But we know the one who's working them. Amen? We must render. We must render. We must render service. Now this is so cool because today our, our new deacons kind of, uh, you know, get knighted. Just kidding. Uh, they, we have our uh, new deacons meeting this evening and we've got a Sunday school training that we're going to do with them. And so I thought, oh, this is really just like God to remind us all of this word, this word diakonos. It's where we get our word deacon from. It's actually one of the most common words used in Scripture for serving. And so Paul is saying here that we must be ministers. We must render service. That's what that word ministry is there. Paul says, I'm a servant. I'm a minister. Which is very interesting because this, again, you're going to see some words used here that are very descriptive, not only of, uh, of a, an apostle, but of pastors and, and of a deacon. And as church members. And that's this word here, diakonos. But Paul is identifying it. He says here, he says, uh, of which I became a diakonos. I became a minister. I became a servant. This word service, diakonos, it, it means this. It says, one who, ex one who ex executes the commands of another. Guys, th that's part of my responsibility. I am to execute the command of my Heavenly Father, of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is the head of this church, not Pastor Jeremy. Jesus is head of this church. And part of my responsibility is to execute what he says is for the body. My responsibility is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's my, that's my calling. Be given to the ministry of the Word and the ministry of prayer. Those are my two biblical definitions that I as a pastor should really be focused on. Is praying and preaching. And Paul says... One who this, this is what a servant does. He says this is, this is another definition uh, of this word. If you look up this word, diakonos, it's the servant of a king. Guys, how awesome is this? We're servants of a king. We have the honor and privilege of serving the king of kings and the lord of lords. Uh, let's just be honest for a second. If Donald Trump, whether you like him or love him, or hate him or whatever, if he calls you up today and says, I want you to come to the White House, I've got something for you to do. There's something I'd like for you to do for America. Whew. Man. Whoa. How, how, how excited would we be? This is a privilege, man. This is an honor. And yet, the King of kings and Lord of lords has called us. What an honor. A deacon is another word again here described for diakonos. It's one who by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church, 
cares for the poor, and has charge of and distributes the money collected for their use. One of the things these deacons will do is, is to serve our widows to help in ministering to the body of Christ. You've given them that charge. Choose from amongst yourself, men full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. And so this is part of our service. Serve God, serve one another. In its simple definition, it's a waiter. One who serves food and drink. What an honor. What a privilege in service to the king. So we must render stewardship. Here's another word he uses here. Notice in the text. He says, uh, For the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a diakonos, a minister, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, and so this word, oikonomia, it means the management of a household or of household affairs. Now again, this is a stewardship that was given to the Apostle Paul. Right? He was called to be a minister of the gospel. Your pastor, Pastor Jeremy Varner, was called to be a minister of the gospel. Where do we find this about Paul? I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a pause for the calls. Go over to Acts, because you need to understand uh, Paul's calling. Actually, let me see. Let me, let, me, let me finish out these definitions. I'll get there. Hold your spot. We'll just go through this, because time's getting away from me. All right. Here's the, here's the other definitions of stewardship. Oikonomia. Specifically, the management or oversight, administration of others' property. Again, as a pastor, I recognize this isn't Jeremy's church. This is the Lord's church, right? I, I'm, I've been called to a specific management, a specific oversight of His property. You are not your own. I am not my own. We've been bought with a price. If you, if you have come to saving faith in Christ, you belong to Him. You're His property. You belong to Him. You're either a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to sin. Don't be confused, guys. We all have a master. I'm either a slave to sin, or I'm a slave to righteousness because of Christ. He has purchased me. He has redeemed me. That word redeem means to buy back, to buy out of slavery. We were in the slavery of sin. I woke up, I drank you, went with girls to do, because that's all I knew to do. Right? He went with girls to chew? No, not really. But you understand my point. He saved me out of that lifestyle. And now there's a pursuit of Him because of the new heart He's given me. So, uh, uh, part of this stewardship is the office of a manager or overseer. Stewardship, that's what this means. This is what Paul's saying. It's administration, it's dispensation. This is, some of your Bibles may translate that as dispensation. But that's what this word is, stewardship. And so this is what's been entrusted. This is what God called Paul out to do. Why? He says it's given to me for you. Pastors, future pastors. Pastor Jeremy, this was a convicting reminder this week. God called me to the ministry for you. I don't do this for me. I do this because God called me to do it. And as Paul said, woe is me if I do anything else. If you can do something else, you've heard the saying, you better go do it. I can't. It's not because I don't have the skill set to do so, though there are some things I definitely don't have the skill set to do. But that's not what God called me to do. And everyone has a calling on their life. But this is where God has called me, and He's given me to you. Don't take my word for it, read your Bible. Ephesians 4 says, and God has given gifts. Christ has given gifts to the church. To the church. Apostles, evangelists, teachers, preachers, right? So if you don't like your preacher, then you're telling God you don't like the gift He gave you. I'm just going to leave it there. 
I'm just saying. I mean, yeah. All right, let's look at Acts 9. This is where it comes from, guys. Acts 9. Notice what happened to Paul. Let's go over there and take a peek. Acts 9. And so we'll, we'll look at verse 3. Here he is on the road to Damascus, right? Apostle Paul, he's going to kill. He's Saul at this time. He's going to go kill some Christians. This was Saul. He wanted to kill Christians. He's on his way to kill some Christians. And notice what happens on the road. So, he's marching along. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. You must do, right? Skip down to verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your, to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. Why was Paul called to be a diakonos, a servant? Why was Paul entrusted with a stewardship from God, He was given, it was given to Him for you. God calls. That's His work. L let me tell you Pastor Jeremy's calling. I'll never forget, man. I was, first off, y'all know my story. I was deep in sin, uh, very much in a very immoral lifestyle. Um, and life bottomed out for me. And I, I just began to really, what is, what is this all about? And, and God began to work on me. And, and I was under conviction heavy for about three months. And when I finally came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior, uh, there was a radical transformation and change in my life. And I, I began to struggle with, what do I do, God? What, I, I want to know you more. I felt I was 25 years of age and I felt like so many years were wasted and, and I wanted to just do something for God. I wanted to know Him better I, I, and I knew nothing of Scripture and I, I felt uncomfortable in the church at first because you people were holy and I wasn't. And if you knew what I had done just weeks before, you would be sick and disgusted and wouldn't even want to sit near me. And, and, and so that tore me up inside and that was that battle and that conflict. And by the way, I remind us guys, when there's new converts and believers, know that battle's going on. And even people who maybe have walked with the Lord for a while that still struggle in the flesh, sometimes these are the real battles. And if you're struggling with those kind of thoughts and battles, let me, let me just tell you, those are lies. Those are lies from Satan. Because he doesn't want you attaching to the local church. He doesn't want you getting involved with spiritual things. Because then that's going to break some shackles off of you. That's going to set you free to be more surrendered and actually begin to experience abundant living. And so he'll fight you on that. But I remember sitting in church, and I remember a missionary had come to speak one Sunday. And I'm probably two, three months, two months, three months old in the Lord and still wet behind the ears. And I couldn't tell you a single thing that the missionary said. But I know one part. This is the one single part I could tell you he said. I was sitting in the back with a bunch of my you know, mid twenty. Friends, all of us on a couple of rows there. Yes, we weren't really paying a lot of attention. I know none of y'all do that. And then all of a sudden, it was as if something just reached and grabbed me right in the chest. And I heard this phrase, clear as it could be. I don't know, maybe one of you young people's being called to the ministry. And man, my soul sank. It was as if that was a direct... And so I shrugged it off, went back to cutting up. And after church, this sweet old lady, sweet old ladies, 
You never know if God prompts you to do this. Now, don't do this if the Lord don't prompt you, all right? Don't play the Holy Spirit. But this sweet old lady who I knew was very much in tune with the Lord. She was a prayer warrior in our church. She comes up to me with her cane hobbling up to me after church, and she says, Jeremy, I don't know if this means anything, but when that pastor said that today, the Lord just laid you on my heart. Have you ever thought about going into ministry? And I thought, lady, get away from me. <laughs> I mean, it scared me to death. I was, and I was shaking inside because that's, you don't know me, lady. You don't. And man, I, I was in, honestly, I was in kind of a torment. I was wrestling inside because I, I had just gotten a great new job. I was making great money. I was ready to, you know, hey, start a new life. And, you know, this was going to be, that wasn't part of it. But God continued to convict me. And I'll never forget a Sunday after church, a bunch of this college age and college and career all got to, and this is why I love college and career group. Y'all keep hanging out. Even though care groups, I'm keep hanging out, man. Keep staying together. We'd go and eat. We went to eat at Pete's Inn after church. Now, look, around here, you go to Pete's Inn. In Asheville, you don't go to Pete's Inn. All right, everybody goes to serve pizza. I'm just saying. But that day, we all decided, let's go to Pete's Inn. So we went to Pete's Inn. And I had prayed two days before because I was wrestling and tormenting in my spirit. And I said, God, if you want me to leave this job and go to Bible college, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I need to know for certain before I do something boneheaded and step out here. I, I just need to know, is this what you're telling me? Is this you who's calling me? And I prayed, and I don't say you pray this, but I was in ignorance, guys. I was a brand new, wet behind the ears kind of guy. And I said... Don't hit me. Ben Duran. I went to high school with Ben Duran. He was a freshman. I was a senior. He played basketball. We often played a lot of pickup ball together. He got kind of made fun of a little bit in his early years because he wanted to grow up and be a preacher. And in public school, in, in that day, that was just uncommon. He's a great guy. Um, but I remember thinking, you put, Dem, you put Ben Duran right in front of me, I'll quit everything. I'll do what you want. Be careful what you pray. <laughs> Two days later, I walk into Pizza Inn. We're waiting to be seated, and I look right there at the buffet, and who should be standing in front of me? And I've not seen this man in eight years, and there's Ben Duran. I'm telling you, I, don't, I couldn't think the rest of the day. I wanted to go home. I was sick to my stomach. I was scared to death. I had the fear of God upon me because it was real, guys, and it was very very scary, and I'm just being transparent. And I went home that day, and I filled out all my transcripts. I didn't pillow my head till I was done with writing out my... I mean, you know, if you apply to college, you've got a lot of paperwork you got to fill out. And I knocked it out, man, because I knew. Next morning, I went in with it in hand. And by the way, our speaker for homecoming this year is Howard Wilburn, Dr. Howard Wilburn. He was the president of Piedmont at the time when I first went. His son met me at the door, who's now a missionary in, um, where's he at? He's in uh, one of the Virgin Islands, I think. Um, anyway, first person I run into was him, and I said, uh, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't qualify for a Sears card. I don't have money. I just know I'm supposed to be here. He said, all right, come with me. I'll show you. And he took me up to the administrative office, and I was sitting in orientation because they had already started uh, orientation. They were starting classes in, uh, like the next day. And God opened all the doors and provided the means for me to actually go to college. And that was my calling. Now, I wasn't clear at that moment that it was going to be pastoring. I just knew He was calling me to service, like full-on dedication, follow me. And I was simply wanting to answer that call. And of course, fast forward, once I finished out school, uh, literally the week before graduation, still had no clue. I'm married, young bride. We've been married a year. She's the one working. I'm finishing my last year of school. And it's like, what, what are we going to do? And uh, the dean of women came to me and said, Jeremy, have you ever considered being a youth pastor? And I had because, you know, I, I knew as a teenager that's when I got off track. And I really wanted to help teenagers maybe avoid some of the mistakes I made. I said, yeah. She said, well, there's a church contacted me today. They're looking for a full-time youth pastor, and the Lord laid you on my heart, and I just thought I'd pass this information on. And, of course, that eventually led to my calling to Maranatha Bible Church, where we served for almost 10 years prior to coming here, which has been over 10 years as well. 
So God calls, guys. That's His work. But He calls us all to an area of ministry. And so I want to ask you and leave you maybe with, with this thought today. You know, what is He calling you to? Because I promise you He's got to work for you. I promise you He's desiring that you would rejoice in your sufferings and your afflictions. That you would recognize that part of this is to further advance the gospel for His namesake. Because there's coming a day when the book will close. When the chapter will end. When the curtain will be drawn. Guys, it is the end. This is it. The curtain falls. And all the things that we find in this world so compelling and important will seem meaningless in that day. What is God calling you to? What was the purpose of Paul's calling? What was the purpose of Paul's calling? It was to fulfill the Word of God. Look at the text. It says there in the Scriptures, it was for the purpose, to fulfill the Word of God. Do you realize when you respond in obedience to what God would have you do, you're fulfilling the Word of God. We live in a day and a time when God has chosen to use you, the church, to advance the gospel. Now we're going to look at the context next week. I'm not going to go into it at this point, but, but I'm going to give you a little, little taste of the point and purpose of Paul's specific calling was so that the gospel would move from the Jews to the Gentile. And so his specific purpose was so that now the gospel, this had been a mystery in ages gone by. And now this mystery was no longer a mystery. So when we read this and we'll look at this next week, it's no longer a mystery. God's plan and design was that whosoever will let him come. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so I wonder this morning, have you come to that point, into that place? And where are you in the story of sacrificial service? I close with this illustration. It reiterates the point that we made a while ago about furthering and advancing that gospel. It's the story of a, a Masai warrior named Joseph. He was one of the least likely men to attend the itinerant evangelist conference of Billy Graham. You may remember this. I think it was in 1990 when he had the conference in Amsterdam. And so this Messiah warrior named Joseph had traveled there and his story won him actually a hearing with Dr. Graham himself. The story is told by Michael Card. Uh, some of you know the singer. He actually writes as well and he had written this story in an article. One day Joseph, who was walking along one of those hot... Dirty African roads. This is the story that was given that eventually got him a meeting with Billy Graham. Listen to this story. He was walking along one of those hot, dirty African roads, met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Somebody was faithful on a dirty road to share the gospel with this man. And listen what happened. The power of the Spirit began to transform his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was return to his own village and share that same good news with the members of his local tribe. Joseph began going from door to door, telling everyone he met across the cross, uh, met, uh, 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 about the cross, suffering, of Jesus and the salvation it offered. Expecting to see their faces light up the way his had, to his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Joseph, 
somehow managed to crawl to a water hole. And there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, he found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception he had received from the people he had known all his life. He decided he must have left something out or or, or told the story of Jesus incorrectly. Because why would they reject this? Why would they not receive this? After rehearsing the message he had heard at first, he decided to go back and share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God, he pleaded. Again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him, reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third and probably the last time, he again spoke to them of Jesus Christ the Lord. Before he passed out, the last thing he saw was the women who were beating him began to weep. This time, he awoke in his own bed. The ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village had come to Christ. This is one vivid example of what Paul meant when he said, I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Church, He's calling us to sacrificial service. Will we answer His call? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the examples of great men, um, Christ Himself, obviously, and and the Apostle Paul, and yet, Lord, these stories of of these men that were shared today, Oswald Sanders, um, this warrior Joseph, And yet our stories will be written, Lord, and we may not be necessarily called to take the gospel to Africa or some remote part of the world, and yet some of us will be. And we need to be clear that no matter what our call in life is, Lord, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be affliction. And so, Lord, help us to recognize that as we'll look at next week, it's not because of us but it's because of the hope of glory that we're able to proclaim the hope of the gospel. But Lord, I recognize there may be some here amongst us today that have never responded to the gospel. They've they've never turned from their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to redeem them, to forgive them. And yet, Lord, one day we all will stand before You, and if we stand before You without our sins forgiven, then, Lord, You will say the words, Depart from me. I never knew You. And that will be an eternity in hell. And Lord, you've said you're not willing any should perish, but all will come to repentance. And so, Lord, this morning I extend the invitation to those watching via Facebook, those listening on the podcast, those that are here in the midst of our audience. If you're listening and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, He's calling you. He's calling you to turn from your sin. Recognize that you've sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. And recognize that it's because of sin, it's the wages of sin, that there's death. But it's the gift of God through Jesus Christ. That's the gift of salvation. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's the gift of God. Jesus Christ is the gift. Will you receive Him today? By faith, will you trust Him as your Lord and Savior? Turn to Him. He says, if anyone shall call upon my name, they shall be saved. He said, if anyone comes to me, I will no way cast them out. He's not going to turn you away. Come to Him today in this moment.
put your faith and trust in His death, His burial, and His resurrection because that is a payment He paid on your behalf. And He offers you eternal life. In this moment, all you got to do is turn to Him and call upon His name to save you. He makes you a promise. He says that you may continue to believe on His name. The one that you've called upon. You can continue to believe. You can have assurance. You can know that your sins are forgiven. And that you have a home in heaven. And I invite you, if you've done that, that you begin to read His Word, that you'll hide His Word in your heart so you won't sin against Him. Day by day, minute by minute, look to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be your life. And let Him have His own way in you. Church, that's our prayer too. That Christ may have His own way in us. Father, thank You for Your saving grace. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not about walking an aisle. It's not about uh, praying a prayer, raising a hand. Lord, it's about faith and trust in Your completed work. Thank You for that. And we ask that as we go now, Lord, that You'll go with us as You've promised You will. Let us live sacrificial lives for Your glory and our good. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.